How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. The following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. You're listening to the Bleacher Connection, a part of the Belly Up Sports Network. Here are your hosts, Ken and Trevor. Welcome to the show, everyone. Trevor. How you doing today? We're almost out of the deep freeze, Ken. They lied. It was so supposed close. to get out of the deep freeze last week. We were supposed to have above zero temperatures last week. Yeah, they lied. Liars. Liars. I never trust it. Hasn't, it hasn't been minus 40, but it's still been, you know, minus 20-ish. And I just, I hate winter. It's the stupidest season. And there's nothing good about it. Like cold and snow just suck. And, <laughs> you know, I'm... I'm I'm a little bit worried because it's supposed to warm up here this week, yet I'm traveling east to Montreal for 10 days on later this week. And I'm very, very concerned that I'm going to follow the shitty weather across this beautiful country of ours. So I might get a one or two day reprieve and then I'm legit worried right back into it. Yeah. <laughs> we shall see. Yeah, it's... uh. It's. It, 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 I was just looking at the forecast for here for this week, and it's supposed to go like right now. It's minus thirteen, fifteen, whatever. A little bit of snow. It's supposed to get through the week warmer to about minus, you know, three or four on Friday and plus one on Saturday. Sure. I. I mean, I will say going to university in Lethbridge, Trevor, um, has sullied me on believing. Anything a <laughs> forecast ever says. Uh, I think I was talking to someone at work and I said, yeah, because of that, I said, I'd, I'd wake up to the radio and they'd have the, the forecast for what how what was doing at the time. They're saying it's, you know, pissing rain. And I kind of poke my head out the window and take a look and it's clear skies and sunny. And it just, you know, and I, to be fair, a strong breeze could come through and bring four seasons in that time in Lethbridge. But yeah, I just, uh, I'll believe it on the day that it happens and see how it actually goes. I, uh, long-term forecasts don't mean squat to me, really. No, no, me neither. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's been a, a lot of reasons to stay inside is the cold. Um, I managed to sneak out yesterday and 
go hit up a 3D printer store so I could get some help getting my printer going. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it was uh, kind of printing stuff. And uh, yeah, I actually got some really good advice and help and did a little tweaking on my own. So things are printing nicer now. So it uh, it's good because, you know, it's can print stuff for board games. Well, and for those that may not know, Ken and I are both actually really big um, board game nerds. And my wife, a couple of years ago, actually went and got a 3D printer and for a game storage units. And uh, Ken recently went out and uh, got one himself and is very quickly learning about the challenges involved with making it print properly. I know my wife spent months and months. She actually put it away for a while. She's like, to hell with this. And then she had somebody like a professional 3D printer guy come in. One of her uh one of her students' parents is like does it for a living. We actually had him come in and and he leveled our bed. It, it makes all the difference in the world. It 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 totally does. Like a couple millimeters in 3D printing makes all the difference in the world. It's crazy. And you know, I, I feel for your your um what you're going through, Ken? I saw my wife pull her hair out. You know, you'd be ten hours into a thirty-six hour print, and then all of a sudden it just explodes, and you got filaments all over the place, and, and you're just like, "What the hell?" Oh, I know. I I started a uh, a player board for Ticket to Ride last night, and it was a oh, probably a good thirty-three or hour print, and it, it just it was going down like 95% perfectly. Just that, you know, chef's kiss. It was looking good. Except for the couple spots where the, it was printing off. I was trying to figure it out because I couldn't remember how it had been on my card for so long. I forgot how it was actually supposed to look. And I was like, man, that's a lot of train slots. Like, how is this connecting? But what it was doing is making row after row after train tracks. So it was laying down all the, cross beams first well some of them didn't stick and they were coming up so i was like after about i think seven hours i just kind of went and stop and had to like take it all off but um found a better one that's easier and a little more simple for right now but uh i'm i'm, I'm working with the simpler prints and working my way up i i do have a uh dice tower that i want to try printing um the next day or so but we'll we'll go from there and see how that uh actually works out it's not uh it's not like the one that your wife made for your son there that if this one goes well will be next because i think that dice tower is uh, <laughs> pretty damn cool so um we managed to nerd out on different things whether it's sports or board games and 3d printing it's all it's all good my wife printed my son a pretty much a dungeons and dragons um dice tower but it's more like a an arena where you can you know you you store the dice around the edge of it and then it, what you know you drop it in and it's almost like you're dropping it into like a coliseum and uh she printed that and actually right after she finished it one of my sons and daughter's friends moms actually saw it and she's like oh i need you to print one of those for my son too so she actually had to print it twice and it it's like a 60 hour print and uh it actually clicks together and it's really cool you know 
but she was just like, oh, I, I, it, it, it like took three days to print the first time, and now I got to do it again and hope it doesn't wreck. And yeah, it, it, the 3D printers are awesome, but holy smokes, they take forever. And, and one little thing and, you know, a day's worth of work gone. Yeah, yeah. That's, and that's where sometimes, like, I, when it wasn't right, like, I actually had a wobble in my, in my plate, in my bed, which was why everything was getting thrown off in the two different areas. So when I bought the replacement springs for the the leveling wheels, which made a huge difference, the replacement springs, the up, upgrade, um, he told me to like tighten some things on there. Cause yeah, when I checked, there was a, a considerable wobble and uh, tightened that up and man, huge difference. So I am, I was always excited about it. Very frustrated over the last couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, like actually I got, it was really great. Like I know I'll be going back to that store to get it, but yeah, I, you know, your wife should uh, set up a little um, side hustle and get the parents to purchase the filament and charge for time. <laughs> Sell some dice towers on the side. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, let's get into what we're here to talk about, Trevor. Uh, lots of stuff to sports. In the sports world that's gone on um today we're going to focus on the future of what's going to be coming up here in early march can't remember the exact date but i know i'll be uh keeping an eye on the nhl trade deadline sipping on a pina colada in mexico when it uh all goes down i believe um we're going to talk trade deadline for the canucks and the flames we're going to look at uh the, the standings and who are the buyers and who are the sellers and realistically who, who should be, be buying and who should, and who should be, be selling? Buying. Yeah, and and who could be on the move? And realistically, would those moves make sense for teams and what they may or may not have to give up? So, is it rental time, or are you are teams going to be making deals that are going to be impactful for the future? But as always, we're going to start off with "Are you kidding me?" Uh, and I, I'm going to kick it off here, and it's going to start in the city of Toronto, who just hosted uh, the UFC pay per view and. I'm not going to get into the details of it, Trevor, because there's no need to repeat what uh, was said by uh, Sean Strickland, the now former UFC champ. Uh, he made some, he was asked by a reporter about um, the LGBTQ community, and he absolutely went off in a pretty big homophobic tirade. And, and I don't want to talk about that so much. I don't want to give him any more light of day with that because it was, it's, it's, what he was saying was horrible and, you know, no need to be said. They also got into a F. Trudeau chant at the UFC in the world stage right before the main event that Strickland was in. And another post-pay-per-view press conference, I think it was the same reporter asked Dana White about, you know, the, the fighters being on leashes and what they can say and all these kind of things. And you know, Strickland said about the free speech and Dana White brought up about the free speech and that he's not putting a leash on anyone and they can say what they want. They can believe what they want. And it's that that's true. But it doesn't also stop myself or anyone else from saying, are you kidding me? Right. Like that's what you're promoting is essentially hate speech. Right. Like I just I. I, I I'm not surprised not really shocked by it 
But I mean, the reporter was also in a situation where he was asking a question. I don't know what he was expecting to hear from either of them based on the fact of what has been said previously by them. I don't think crossing the 49th parallel and crossing the border into Canada is going to change anyone's opinions on how they feel about that. So sure, you try, he maybe made Strickland look worse to the people that don't care about the UFC anyways. People who care about the UFC ate it up. They, they full on, because Strickland made comments about Trudeau as well. And we get the F Trudeau chant from the fans in Toronto, which, you know, the world is watching this and this is the foot that Canadian fans are putting forward. Are you kidding me? Like, you all want to talk about keeping sports and politics and everything else separate, but UFC fans just dive right in there with it and make it at the forefront. I was honestly just disgusted by it. I haven't watched a UFC event in a long time, and frankly, I don't know if I would again. Yeah, there, there's there's a difference between free speech and common decency. And you're right, you can say whatever you want. But what what is wrong with having respect and common decency for other people? And whether it's the LGBTQ community, whether it's the black community, Islam, it, it's all ties in together. There's this platform that's okay now in everything, in sports, in media, in uh, social media. I just, I don't get it. I, I I don't understand why people are just assholes. That's really what they are. Yeah. You know, why do you have to go out and, and publicly say this stuff? I, I, whatever, you believe in it, who cares? You know, it doesn't mean that you get a, a platform to go out and, and spew hate speech and and not be a decent human being that that's the piece of this that i struggle with and you know you mentioned the the politics and sports like you're right they they need to be somewhat separated and to be on that stage and give that platform of the f trudeau chance like that that's you know you've got kids watching you probably had kids in attendance it's like why why do we feel like it's okay to do that stuff ver you know, verbally like that? Or here in our province, people driving around with like flags and stuff that say like, why does it have to be visible yeah. to, like that for the younger kids? I don't care. You can have those feelings. I don't care about that. You know, you can hate Trudeau all you want. You can, but why do you have to visibly show it so that you know kids have to see it like th that's not appropriate you know having big fuck trudeaus everywhere in this country isn't appropriate it's no, not and, and i think too and it doesn't just come down to the politics side of it too but like everyone has become so aggressive yes in their opinions about things that i tend both, to not both sides though both sides oh, yeah I, I tend not to say much of anything when people bring, because I I don't agree with a lot of stuff that politicians are politicians. And I will say this, they lie to your face, every single one of you. If you think anyone, any politician is different than Trudeau or anyone before him or anyone that's going to come after him, you're a delusional person because they all lie to you. None of what they say they're going to do ever happens. 
and, and they just continuously find ways to screw you. But, you know, I think that part of it is the, the ability to have a conversation about it. For the most part, it's gone out the window because everyone is so dead set in their yes. beliefs that yep. it's ridiculous. Like, you know, athletes, again, I've always said that if you are a kid growing up and you want to be a professional athlete, idolize how they play, not how they live, not who they are, because not every professional athlete is a good person. Not every professional athlete lives a good life. You don't know what's going on, right? So, right, like I, I know a lot of people in Vancouver threw the, their arms up in the air in frustration because Jay, I think it was JT Miller had a, you know, support the, the police thing or whatever, uh, like a hat or whatever, the, the blue line. And, and people were like, oh my God, he supports the police. And it's like, what does that have to do with hockey? Right? Like things like that. It's like, Hockey is hockey. Like, even to the point of, like, do we need the national anthems being played before the game? Right? Like, in, in sports. Why do we do that? We know we're in Canada. We know they're in the U.S. We know, like, it's not an international event. 80% of the players on those teams are not from the country they're playing in. So why are we, like, you know what I mean? Like, you want to take some of this stuff out issues away it's a real simple solution play the national anthems like to do at international events where the winner's anthem is played or play both before the game i don't care but what does it have to do with the game right now and i think things have gone so sideways with people thinking they can say whatever they want and there's no repercussions and claim free speech sure you can say whatever you want it doesn't mean that people are gonna be cool with it or there aren't going to be any repercussions. It's it is what it is. I just Toronto bad look from the fans. Are you kidding me? UFC, come on. Well, I'm going to move past the political talk because we could go on forever on this, and I'm going to go to some somewhat breaking news that I don't know that is 100 percent official yet, but it's kind of been out there for a while, and there was common belief. You know, when Corey Perry was cut from or cut, quit, I, whatever you want to call it, released, booted, asked to leave, booted from the Chicago Blackhawks. There's been a belief that when he was available to come back, he was going to sign with the Edmonton Oilers. It appears that that has happened. Uh, are you kidding me? This uh, Corey Perry is one of the most hated players in the NHL. He, he plays a role. And one of the team, he goes to a team that already has Evander Kane, already kind of has, you know, Darnell Nurse is kind of outspoken. Like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of attitudes on this team that I don't know how well this is going to mesh. I'm, they're they're unlikable as it is due to some of the the the, the personalities on attitudes personalities they already have on, on this team they've got a good thing going like they, they've won what 13 games in a row you know Kenneth you signed them off at, earlier in the year and I said oh hold your horses here they've won 13 games in a row I you know I get that their bottom six is not the strongest they, they need some depth I don't know that Corey Perry is the answer there. And are they rocking the boat 
when they don't need to. I, I'm they just became that much more unlikable. Like Canada's team, it's hard to be Canada's team if they're going on a Stanley Cup run when you have Evander Kane and Corey Perry, like two of the most hated guys in the NHL. I don't I I feel like this may have been unnecessary. You know, I don't know that like what are they gonna get out of Corey Perry? Corey Perry's been pretty much irrelevant since 2010. Like, <laughs> he's, he had one, I, I got his stats in front of me. He really had one exceptional season in 2010, 2011, when he scored 50 goals and 98 points. He's, uh, so I just gave him two. I guess in 2013, he had 43 goals. He's a 25, 30 goal score on the decline. You know, he's kind of only ever been a 50, 60 point guy. Like, I, I I can't believe it's, I think Corey Perry is overrated. And Absolutely. I and I, I think he's he gets loved because of his agitated abilities, but on the ice impact, I just I don't know that this is a move the Oilers needed to make. I really don't. Uh, and are you disrupting a good thing you have going on right now? I think you might be, and and time will tell. But man, they just became that much harder to like. You are, they're very unlikable in the first place. It's a good thing they have McDavid because he is fun to watch. But you, you, they're just an unlikable team in general, and it just got worse. Yeah, I, I hope this tailspin's been to a twenty-game losing streak. Honestly, like, so I just said in the last say part there of Are you kidding me about not idolizing? a player for what they do and how they live and everything, because you don't know how their lives are. You mentioned Kane. Perry also has had now very, Perry very recently this season. They both have had very public things going on that potentially can make you not like them. Right. Corey Perry hasn't been liked on the ice for, I don't know, his entire career, but based on the way he plays, he always plays over the line. Uh, I hope, this honestly puts the Oilers into a tailspin because you're right. I don't know how his personality, who he is, how it's going to work with there. Because Perry seems to be, he's always in Anaheim, he was the guy, right? And he left there at what should have been the end of his career. He continued on. He's been chasing a cup. And, I mean, we've seen it. They've, he's gone, he went to, what, three cups in a row and lost them all? So that's good news for the rest of the league because it could mean the Oilers start losing and don't even make it now. Um, I don't, I don't get this. Yeah, like yeah, the Oilers are playing better hockey right now, but for them to maintain a playoff position and continue to go, you know, I mean, LA's kind of gone into a bit of a tailspin where they've dropped. Their play has been not good of late, to put it bluntly. They've uh, really fallen off. Um, Vegas had a, a pretty big dip in how they were playing as well. They're dealing with a lot of injuries. So, I mean, their playoff positioning, I think, has been helped by two teams falling off. If Vegas and L.A. had continued to play well, I, I don't think they've made up a, a lot of that ground. They're still well back at those two teams and the Canucks. Like, you know... Whatever's with the the Oilers are twenty one and three or something like that in their last twenty four games, and they're still they've, they've gained two points on the Canucks 
if the teams above them can turn it around and continue to win, that doesn't bode well for them. Their hot streak combined with two losing streaks have helped them. And I, I don't know what bringing Perry does to this team other than make him more unlikable. Um, he's not a guy that's going to eat minutes. He's older. He, like, yeah, he's been around forever. He came in at a young age, but he's been around for a long time. So I don't know what you're going to get from him. They already have sometimes depth issues in, in getting scoring. So it's been a lot of the top six, not a lot of the bottom six doing the heavy, heavy work for him. Yeah, the Oilers, they're, in my opinion, they're solidly in a playoff spot. They're, they're six points up on Arizona with, you know, games in hand. The Oilers are a playoff team. They're like that, to me, there's no doubt about this. You know, they've gone on a couple of ridiculous runs this year to get back into contention. They're, they're probably going to finish second in the division now, you know, just based on, you know, Vegas is hurt. LA's kind of fallen off. I don't see why they wouldn't finish second in the division. They'll have a hard time catching the Canucks. They're they're going to make the playoffs, and they're scary if they make the playoffs. Like you don't win thirteen games by accident in a row. This is this is a good hockey club. They've they've really tightened up in their own zone. Is what I've really noticed the difference. They you know they're not bleeding grade A scoring chances like they were early in the year. Even last year, they're they're playing a smarter brand of hockey. It's hard to get to their net. It's hard to get to the 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 tough scoring spots on them they're playing some good hockey but again i just i don't know that Corey perry's what really ails them you know he's he might add some grit like i just seems odd really does well my i was just gonna say how does how does adding Corey perry give stuart skinner a break in net And that's, Are you inferring that, that you think Corey Perry's going to crash the other net and and, and cause the same thing to happen to Stuart Skinner? <laughs> no, no. What I'm saying is, how does Corey Perry relieve Stuart Skinner? That's not the addition they needed to make, right? You've got a five and a half million dollar goaltender in the minors. You've got Calvin Pickard as the backup and you're riding Stuart Skinner, like you have no option at backup. He's playing good hockey, but are they going to overplay him to where he's going to go on a run where he is just dog tired or gets hurt? Right? Like, I think, I think this is the the wrong type of accusation, whatever addition to the team. I didn't get a lot of sleep. Uh, (laughs) Acquisition. There we go. Uh, acquisition that they really needed to make. I like Corey Perry does not play goal. Corey Perry doesn't really play defense. Corey Perry no longer puts the puck in the net. So unless his job is to go out and, you know, knee someone, go knee on knee with someone, then to take out the the top player on the other team, then sure. But uh, I, I'm with you. I don't know what this does for the Oilers. Honestly. Time will tell, I guess. Yeah. Well, sticking with hockey pretty much for the, the rest of the, the episode here, Trevor. One more, are you kidding me? And I'm I'm kind of gonna go back a little bit here. Um it, it was actually 
last Sunday, uh, or last, yeah, last Sunday night, uh, after the Toronto Maple Leafs lost yet another game in, uh, in a fashion of multiple goal lead gone in the third period against Colorado, Sheldon Keefe came out and said, when McKinnon's line gets out there with McCarr and Taves, that's not the NHL. That's another league. Like, as a NHL coach, where you have Austin Matthews, William Nylander, newly minted to an 11 and a half, eight year, 11 and a half million per year, eight year contract, Mitch Marner will throw John Tavares in there. How, when you're the coach of those four players, can you walk up to a podium in front of the media and say that McKinnon, McCarr, and Taves is not the NHL and it's a whole nother league? Are you saying that with your core four that you everyone is saying is the best out there that you can't compete with another team? Like I joked because it was a couple nights later, Montreal was playing the Avalanche, and I was like, man, I hope Montreal wins just so that Sheldon Keefe's comments look even dumber. And they did. Montreal beat them. Montreal is a rebuilding team full of youngsters that doesn't have an Austin Matthews, a Mitch Marner, a William Nylander. They have some players that, as they progress and get older and develop, could be close to that, but they don't have that right now. They don't have four $11 million players and they beat the Colorado Avalanche. The same lineup that the Maple Leafs blew a two-goal lead to. I, I The Toronto Maple Leafs are on a Western swing. They're going to play seven games. They have lost five of six. And they damn near blew the lead in the game to Calgary that they won if it wasn't for a timeout to allow them to wind the tape back 15 minutes to find a hand pass. That wasn't called to do to cancel out the tying goal. Like Sheldon Keith just seems like he has no idea what the hell he's doing. And if they lose to the Seattle, regardless, or even if they beat him, does Sheldon Keith have a job after this seven game road trip? Yes, because he just signed an extension. <laughs> what are you gonna? I think he's got a couple more years on his contract. They, you know, Tree Living came in and said, this isn't Sheldon Keefe's problem, but sign him to an extension. And, you know, we're going to, I'm assuming we're going to talk a little bit more about the Leafs when we talk trade deadline, who buyers and sellers should be. There's, the Leafs have been a playoff team no questions asked for about the you know better part of the last five, six years. Ever since the Austin Matthews era, they've always been a playoff team. I don't know that they are this year. They're right on the cusp of not even being a playoff team. They just came out West and, as you mentioned, pretty much got it handed to them. They blew multi-goal leads in, in numerous games. They, you know, you, you alluded to the Calgary game. You know, they were down two nothing, got up four two, but then Calgary did score the tying goal and it got called back, which was crazy in my opinion for some like not even in the spirit of the hand pass rule. They they you know they they struggled to beat the Flames who you know are not exactly a juggernaut. They got smoked by the Canucks. 
like the down three nothing. Now they've made it close and tied it, but then you know lost. They lost to the Oilers after blowing the lead. They lost to the Avalanche. Like the the, the there's a common theme here. They're losing to the other good teams. I this team's poorly constructed. It has been for a long time, but it's really really showing this year. You know the the goaltending is not good enough. The decor is not good enough. And now all of a sudden, you know, John Tavares's play has dipped, and all, it's it's not even really the core four anymore. It's you know the the core three plus Tavares is eleven million dollars. You know, there's not a ton of forward depth on this team. I just I, don't get me wrong; I'm enjoying it, and you know, the, it's quite possible the Leafs may not make the playoffs this year. You know, there there's the teams behind them are like I don't see Washington outplaying Toronto. Maybe New Jersey if they can sort of their goaltending, but the Leafs playoff hold is tenuous at best. I'm loving it, but there's something wrong. Like this team, they're not mentally strong. They really aren't. And and I do blame some of that on the coaching. Do I think Sheldon keeps the answer? No, but do to answer your question, is he in trouble? I don't think so. I well, see, and that's where I'm surprised that he got in a extension from tree living a little bit uh, brad brad tree living has let a coach go with after a, an extension was signed just in calgary uh, or not he didn't but the team did like they it's happened before if there's enough noise and i think there's enough noise coming from uh leafland that maybe shanahan says look brad you done effed up. We're making a move here because you can't, the Maple Leaf fans will not, they're going to be vocal about it. And in all honesty, Keith should have been gone at the end of last season for like, I don't care. You won around. Whoop D how many coaches have been let go for less, right? Like the Leafs are realistically looking at four and a half teams behind them that could catch. I think Washington could outplay them by virtue of the Leafs not playing good hockey. It's not so much that the Capitals would outplay them, just the way the Leafs are playing. It's not going to take a lot for the for the Caps to catch them. They're two points back, and same number of games. Jersey's three, the Islanders are three, Pittsburgh's four. Hell, even Montreal's set like seven points back, right? It, like, they don't have a cushion. Buffalo's at 44 points. Like, they're there really isn't the cushion. The only two teams that you could realistically say aren't going to catch them is Columbus and Ottawa. With the way the Leafs are playing and going right now, this is a team that has Austin Matthews on pace for what are they saying, 72 goals, and their goal difference is plus 11. You have Mitch Marner coming out after the loss to Edmonton and everything else on this road trip saying that they're playing great hockey. They're playing really good hockey and no, you're not like this team. They're going to hear it when they come back. That first game at Scotiabank arena is not going to be fun for them. I don't think. And the second that they go down, I think you're going to hear it. I think there's going to be a lot of pressure to make changes. And right now the easiest change that they can do is a coaching change. You know, Dubas is going to hire him anyways, the second he's available. So you're going to be out of that contract regardless uh, I think, I think he is. I, I'm going to disagree with you on this one. I think Keith is in trouble. 
And I think it could happen before the season's end, especially the longer they sit on the cusp of the playoffs. Philadelphia is four points clear of them in second spot in that division. Like it, it just, or sorry, for, yeah, in the Metro. They're four points back of Philly. Philly has a plus 11 goal differential and they don't have, right? Like it's just mind boggling what's going on with the Leafs right now. Um, who knows? Maybe Shanahan could be in trouble too if this goes real sideways because MLSE is not going to stand for losing for what they're paying for. No, and I think we're going to talk about the Leafs again because I'm going to bring them up when we get into our our trade deadline buyers and sellers. So I'm I'm I can reserve any more comment on the Leafs for you know in in the next segment. Well. Let's just do that as a segue, but before we do, let us know what you think. Uh, you know, we've talked a few different topics here. We've talked Corey Perry. We've talked to essentially, you know, politics and sports and just saying boneheaded shit. Um, Sheldon That's Keith, a good way of putting it. what do you think? Is he is he safe? Is he on the hot seat? Could he be out of work by the time they hit the tarmac in, in, uh, in Toronto? Let us know. Trevor's at the BleacherCon 1. I'm at the BleacherCon 2 on X, formerly Twitter. All right, Trevor, you started. Let's jump into the trade deadline. Uh, we're going to talk about our teams right now because want my team, the Canucks, they're in first. They're sitting at the top of the league right now. We're very close. We're bouncing back and forth with Winnipeg. Um, and, and your team essentially kind of are in a position of what are they? Are they a non-playoff team? Are they a playoff contender? Are they going to catch the the teams ahead of them? Let's talk about what they're going to do, Trevor. Uh, where do you want to start? Let's start with, this is a trade deadline talk. Let's start with the Calgary Flames because they're going to be significant players at, you know, at the trade deadline and leading up to the trade deadline. You know, there's no secret that the Flames have three, if not four, five potential guys who could be dealt. They have three prominent UFAs. They had four. They've already dealt the roller coaster season. You know, they are probably the focal point of the trade deadline. Uh, on you know some of the trade bait lists that are out there, you got Elias Lindholm at number one on a lot of the the trade bait lists. You've got Noah Hannafin and Chris Tanev, depending on the list you're looking at. They've got some of them. The Flames are the top three trade deadline targets. They're fast. It's going to be fascinating what happens here. There, there's in the city of Calgary right now. There's kind of this thought that you either have to be on Team Tank. You know, lose everything, blow it up, or you have to be on team, you know, let team, we need to still win hockey games. And it's odd. It's kind of a weird narrative. You know, I, I, I highly caution team tank, but I highly caution team got to get this right. And whether that is signing some of these guys, trading some of these guys, whatever, Whatever we do end up doing, Calgary Flames to Craig Conroy, whatever he ever does end up doing, he's got to do it right. Because if he doesn't, and you know, maybe they do resign Noah Hannafin, 
maybe they you know they do train Elias Lindholm, which is it's trending that way. They have to get it right because if they don't, you might just set back this team even farther. And you know, I I caution anybody who who says just trade them all for first round picks. I'm very leery on that because you know a mid to late first round pick only has about a ten to fifteen percent success rate of of being a, a draft pick that works out. I'm very very skeptical about, about trading let's say someone like Elias Lindholm for a first round pick and a decent prospect. I'm very leery about that because that first round pick, say he goes to Toronto and you end up getting a 20th overall pick. We're trying to set ourselves up for the future here. A 20th overall pick isn't necessarily that great of an asset. If you get a 20th overall pick for Chris Tanna, I'm okay with that. But if you're only trading Elias Lindholm for futures, you know, a first and a second, I I don't think that's the way to go. I think you need to be trading for known commodities. And I'm not saying trade a 27-year-old Elias Lindholm for a 25-year-old. But if you can trade a 27-year-old, you know, very much like the Sharon Govich trade, if you can bring back a player with potential upside that's a little bit more of a known commodity, I would rather do that. I am very skeptical about only draft picks. Look at the Ottawa Senators who've done sell-offs only draft picks. They're still mired in mediocrity. The you know the Buffalo Sabers, the Detroit Red Wings, the Columbus Blue Jackets, like Sharks. There's enough the Sharks. There's enough red flags out there of why you know everybody's team scorched earth scares the shit out of me. The Oilers were. Like people seem to forget the decade of darkness. Like, I'm sorry, I'm I'm not on team decade of darkness. I'll tell you that. It took four first overall picks in six years and still time to get it right. I'm with you. Like, I think the Flames are in a position where you got guys like Kadri and Huberdo, Markstrom still under contract. A couple of those guys for a long time. But I think you got to be careful in how you do it. I think, and I agree with you. I am not one for trade, like collecting draft picks because it doesn't always work. And I will take the, like what the Canucks did with the Islanders first round pick for Heronic. I take that type of trade every day. A guy that, you know, seen what they can yeah. do at this level. It, it's a hundred percent. I will not, I am not the type of person that needs to like, go into the draft with 17 picks because you don't know what you're going to get. You could get a Hunter Shankarik. You could get a Jake Vertanen. You could get a Cody Hodgson. You could get a uh, a Grandland. You, guys that are supposed to turn out and be the next this, that, and the other that really don't do a damn thing. So if you want to be the Sharks, you want to be the, the Sens, you want to be the Sabres and be irrelevant for a long time, Go team tank, collect a whole bunch of draft picks and see where it gets you. Um, I think it's tough. Like, I don't know. I think Lindholm for sure will probably get dealt if you if you're still on the cusp 100%. come March. Because if he hasn't signed by now, good chance he's not gonna sign. Um Hanif, I think that's a, a move you make to to 
bring something in because a lot of contending teams will want a Chris Tanev going into the playoffs. Hannafin, Hannafin's another one that you might be able to get something for if he's not going to resign. I don't know what you guys do, honestly. I, I'm sitting here trying to figure it out, and I've been thinking about it for a while because you're stuck in the middle. You're right there on the fence, and it, it's tough. You know, you could probably get a bag full for Jacob Markstrom, but he's got a no-movement clause. And do you go to him and ask? Or, like, you could probably get something decent, decent more than decent return from a team like New Jersey who needs a goaltender. Team like Carolina who needs a goaltender, right? Like, I think he's probably not on – he's not on a lot of lists. I know they're talking about him, but because there's no movement clause, it's a lot more difficult to do. You don't have a lot of options. I think you could get a bag for Jacob Markstrom. One of the revelations the Calgary Flames have had this year is, you know, there was this – common belief that heading into the season the Flames had no prospects and they they didn't have NHL caliber prospects and I think you look at the emergence of Connor Zary the emergence of Martin Pospisil uh, you know Jacob Pelche is probably going to be coming back he should be a full-time NHLer you know Oliver Shillington should be coming back to the lineup soon he's a full-time NHLer younger guys there's a common belief that the Flames didn't have any young talent and I think that's one thing we've seen this year is that's kind of been dispelled a little bit. I think there's there are some decent players coming up. You know, Matt Coronado looks like he might be okay. The challenge is, and it has been for a while, is the Flames don't have elite talent. And my biggest worry is them acquiring that elite talent, uh, elite talent. They need to somehow, and I get it's probably going to have to be through their own first round picks. Chances are they'll be picking somewhere in, you know, the top 10. They're, they're too good of a team to ever be picking top five. Like there's, there's too many good players on this team to ever bottom out that badly. So I am a little bit worried about how are they going to acquire that elite talent? Now, that being said, Elite talent doesn't have to be a top five pick. You know, look at Johnny Goudreau, probably the most elite player the Calgary Flames have had in a while. Well, he was, what, sixth round pick? Like, you don't necessarily need a top five pick to get elite talent. It's just harder to do. And until the Calgary Flames graft and develop some young elite talent, they are going to be a midland team. And... Because I, I just I don't see how you retool on the fly without elite elite players. And every good every good team has them, and the Flames right now don't. Nazem Kadri is a good player. Jonathan Huberdeau looks like he's turning a corner, but he's a good player. Um, Michael Backlund's a good player. Blake Coleman's a good player. You know, Rasmus Anderson's a good player. Not great, but not elite. So the Flames are are in trouble. And I just don't know where they go until they somehow, some way, get an elite, elite talent. I Dustin Wolf, but that doesn't solve the scoring issues. Like that's the problem. There's just no game breakers and there's none on the horizon. 
there's good players and there's young good players, but it's this team's in trouble. And sure, trade everybody, team tank, sure. But that, again, that doesn't guarantee it. It just doesn't. They need to hit on some draft picks at some point, and they're going to have to do it soon, or else it could be a really, 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 really long few years in Calgary. Yeah, I mean, the thing with picks, there's a, there's a lot of Alexander Daigs out there and not a lot of Connor McDavid's. Sidney Crosby's Alex exactly. Ovechkin's there, there's more Matthew Phillips in the draft than than not so I really I am interested to see what the Flames are going to do because I mean I don't know which way you should go right like as a Canucks fan we saw it and you reaped a lot of the benefits from it we were at a point where we had to make a decision on Markstrom Tanev and a few other players in the season, the Canucks were kind of on that cusp of are they a playoff team? Are they not a playoff team? These guys are UFAs. There's cap issues going to potentially coming up. Like, what do you do? Well, they, they, they go for it and watch a bunch of players leave in free agency. Yeah. Right. Like it, it, and it wasn't good for a while after that. We had guys coming up. We had Thatcher Demko in net and, you know, seemed ready at the time and he's gotten better as the seasons have gone on but being in that middling kind of situation sucks because you don't know what what you're going to do like great we could second round playoff exit and now you watch three guys at minimum walk away and what is it going to do for Kadri who said he doesn't want to be part of a rebuild so does he ask for a trade if you go the other direction as opposed to signing and staying at that trying to compete trade deadline is always fun for these reasons because what are teams going to do i will say one more thing about the calgary flames everything has to be on the table there can't be to me there can't be any untouchables except for maybe dustin wolf uh your rasmus anderson maybe but you could get an absolute haul for rasmus anderson I, I I do have to say I think everything should be on the table, but to me the scorched earth scorched earth sell everybody trade everybody can't be on the table. But the if somebody is coming along and say I'll take Andrew Mangiapane, I think you have to look at it. If somebody comes along and is willing to blow your socks off for Rasmus Anderson, I think you have to look at it. If somebody comes along and goes, you know Oliver Shillington, we like what he did in twenty. 21 will give you something good for him. You have to look at it. Everything to me has to be on the table, but it has to make sense. You can't trade guys for the sake of trading guys. But if you're getting good offers for Blake Coleman, you know, he's on pace for 35 goals this year. If, if you get a real good offer for Blake Coleman or Andrew Mangiapani, Michael Backlund's not going anywhere. You know, Jonathan Huberto, I don't see that happening, but it, everything has to be on the table. 95% retained. Outside of, yeah, 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 exactly. Everything has to be on the table. The only thing the Flames can't do is start trading away draft picks to try to augment this team. And I would fully believe that's not on the table. The Flames are a seller for sure. Now they could sell and buy, that, that's a possibility take some of the assets that they do acquire for, let's say, an Elias Lindholm trade 
and then try to flip those for a more known commodity. I could see that happening, but that's more of an off-season thing to me than a trade deadline thing. It Everything has to be on the table for the Calgary Flames. It just does. And that's why I'm kind of on team get it right. Because if everything's on the table and you screw it up, oh boy, it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're going to have a... The thing is, you still got to put people in the stands. You still got to offer a product that's worth watching and paying for. So you're, you got to get it right. And you got to still be competitive somehow because you could ha- ha- then turn into San Jose where when they're building their, your new arena in Calgary, they're sticking lights in all the seats so that when something happens, it looks like people are there. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right. So let's go to the Canucks here, Trev. They're sitting first in the NHL. Um they're tight on the cap, so that's going to be a bit of an issue for them. But I do believe, obviously, they're going to be buyers. Patrick Alvin has already said, along with Jim Rutherford, that the team is playing to a point where they owe it to them to try and make it better so that they can t- continue on, make a deep run, continue this this play, and get better. Um, I think the cap is going to be issue, an issue, so probably going to end up seeing someone from the roster potentially moving. Um he slots in at number 20 on the hockey writers list, Andre Kuzmenko. He is not having a good time with Rick Tockett this year. I think he's struggling to play the way Tockett wants, and he's been a healthy scratch five times. And I, I don't think this is a relationship that is fractured between the two. Kuzmenko and his camp have come out and said they're fine. They're, they want to be a Canuck. He wants to be a Canuck. He, they, he understands what's going on. The Canucks through and through have said they want Kuzmenko to be a Canuck. He's just got to figure out how to play within Tockett's system. But at five and a half million, that could clean up some uh, space to make a deal. So I do believe the Canucks are going to make a move. Uh, I know Sportsnet had Niels Hoaglander as a trade chip, but I don't know how much you're going to get for Niels Hoaglander. And he's playing good hockey for the Canucks right now. Um could see a prospect or two from Abbotsford get moved, but you still got to figure out the cap. I believe they're going to be buyers, a defenseman, um, probably be on that wish list. Trevor, what are your thoughts on the Canucks? The Canucks, they don't really need to do anything. Like, that, that's my thought. To me, they're maybe bringing a defenseman. There's one guy on the list. Canucks are very familiar with, and that's Chris Tanev. I, I do believe they would probably be interested in a reunion with Chris Tanev, or if somehow they could, you know, pride Noah Hannafin and get him signed long term, then you know I could see them being interested in in both of those guys. The acquisition costs would be incredibly high on Noah Hannafin. Ken, you you talked about Andre Kuzmenko, and and you'd have to shed his salary to do anything. What about a trade centered around Chris Chan and Andre Kuzmenko? Kind of to an extension if the Flames, you know, and do retain on some of that contract, could that be, you know, just spitballing ideas? The Flames are looking for potentially known commodities. He's, he's one year removed from a 30 plus goal season. You know, it, do you see a fit there in any fashion? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Chris Hanov, I was sad to see him go. I, I mean, I, I said it. I told you and John 
when we did our shows after you guys signed him that Chris Tanev is a beast and he will go to the wall for you. Actually, I'd love to see Chris Tanev uh, come back, but uh, it, it's one of those things. Kuzmenko, yeah, it's a tough one. It would work, but at the same time, do you want to trade a guy with the potential for 40 goals to your neighbors that you're going to face a whole bunch of times? Um, I don't know. It, it, it could be interesting. It, I think if I'm going to look at the Canucks roster and go, who could get traded? Kuzmenko's name kind of jumps off the page. So it could work. Um, a guy like Garland isn't going to get moved, I don't think, anymore. Um, he even said there was kind of unfortunate how things played out in the beginning. Um of the year where it was said that he wanted out and he kind of said, I never said that um, he switched agents. So maybe there was some miscommunication, but he, Teddy Bluger and Dakota Joshua are making up are one of the best third lines in hockey that plays a strong forward checking back checking style of hockey and are producing points. Um, so I don't think any of those guys are moving anywhere. I, I could see a, a move for Tanev being done. And if it is Kuzmenko, I think you roll the dice. I think you roll the dice on whether he is the 39 goal guy or if he's the, you know, 50 to 60 point guy as opposed to 39 goals and 73 points in the games he played last year. It, you got to look at it. And I kind of agree. I don't know how much the Canucks really need to do. There's a lot of talk about Jake Gensel. Well, that's a massive move to make that work. Like that would be Kuzmenko plus, 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 plus to prime out of Pittsburgh who are sitting like the flames on the cusp of the playoffs. So I think for Pittsburgh to make a move with Jake Gensel, it would take a lot. I know Sean Monahan's names come up and I'm kind of on the why side of the fence on that one with Monahan, just because he gets injured a lot. Yeah, he's where he's played uh, thirty games this year. He's got nineteen points, nine goals, not a big cap hit, but I don't know. I don't know that he's an actual upgrade to what the Canucks already have. I do agree with you that I think if, if the Canucks are going to do anything significant, it's going to be Andre Kuzmenko going the other way to make the money work. And, you know, I brought up Chris Tanner. I actually think it's more likely that they would center an Andre Kuzmenko trade around Elias Lindholm and not Chris Tanner. Because then, you know, I know you said you got a th good third line, but, you know, if you have a, a third line that potentially features Elias Lindholm as your center on it, uh, I would think that that's an upgrade. So oh, he's, uh, slot in, he's slot in second line center right yeah, now. You got Miller line. and Petey. You got Miller yeah. and Petey so, on the first line. So I, I do think if, you know, I joked about the Tanev trade. I actually think it's more likely that if they were to make a trade with the Flames, it would involve Elias Lindholm and not Chris Tanev. And I do believe that Kuzmenko would be the guy going the other way to make the money work. And But again, I think this would potentially have to come with an extension for Elias uh, yeah. Lindholm. But again, yeah. we, we, would we would have to see what that looks like. But if, if that were to happen... Anything significant for the Canucks to me, it's Kuzmenko going the other way to, you know, to make the money work. And he, it's just not working there. And 
I don't know what happened. Like he was lights out last year. What was he at 35 goal? 39, 39, 39. Like he was electric last year and it just, it's not working this year. So maybe a change so, of scenery for him. And, you know, he's one of those, I, I prefaced with the Calgary Flames that you might, they are more probably more interested in a known commodity type trade. Kuzmenko to me is more of a known commodity than a first round draft pick. So he has, that, the, he has the ability. Yeah. He, he has, has the ability. ability. And I think if he's let to play more his way, you'd see the production. I think yes. Yeah, last the game again, last night's game against the Leafs was Rick Tockett's 82nd game behind the Canucks bench. And they're at 40. How many games are they at right now? It's 46. So it's not quite a 50-50 split from this year and last year. When he came in, the Canucks were done. They like there was nothing going on there. And I know he tried to instill some things that guys bought into. I think Kuz maybe got a little bit of leeway to play his style because he was producing at quite the clip like 39 goals 73 points in his air quoting rookie season too old to qualify but i think he got leeway and in the offseason talk it and foot gonchar yao they all said look we're playing this style everyone is expected to forecheck back check play hard and like he even called out Dakota Joshua in the beginning, who and like you're like, why are you calling out Dakota Joshua? Like the guy's a fourth line player. Well, the guy's turned into a great third line player this season. He's got 12 goals on pace for roughly 20. And and he's getting that out of him. I think I don't think Kuzmenko's used to playing a 200 foot game. And I think that's the struggle. You look yeah. at other guys that have bought into that, guys like the Canucks have what the Canucks have done with the likes of Sam Lafferty, Teddy Bluger, um, even Niels Hoaglander coming up from the minors. And, you know, he was a guy that was already in the organization, but what this coaching group has gotten out of essentially everyone else has taken them from a 27th place team to first in the NHL in an off season. And that's with a Kuzmeko who isn't, he scored, but he's only got seven goals or something like that right now. Yeah. Um, six, sorry. Actually, no, it's maybe one more since this that list was published. I, I yeah, I think I think you could you roll the dice on it. And it, I agree that if it is a deal for a guy like Lindholm, there needs to be extension talk first. Because if you don't, and it's a rental and he walks, you at least have Kuzmenko under contract for one more year. And you could hope that the offseason, he gets it. And if not, you trade him or let him walk at the end of the year anyways, and you continue on. But it's one of those, if you're going to make a move like that, it should come with some kind of uh, extension built in. Yeah, I get him going, pour cold water on all of this and why it's not going to happen. There's just kind of a spitball of ideas. Kuzmenko's 27. The Flames are not interested in acquiring, I would like to believe, a 27-year-old uh, player. If if Kuzmenko was 24, I would see, you know, very much like the Yegor Serengovich, I would see them being all over this type of deal. Kuzmenko's 27. He just doesn't isn't going to fit into the age range of what I think the Calgary Flames are trying to do. So I'm going to pour cold water and say that trade's not going to happen. 
but it's just kind of the spitball of ideas of what what the Canucks might have to do to make something happen. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I do agree. Like even the the Jake Gensel part of it too. Like, sure, that'd be great. Um, you know, obviously Rutherford Alvine have a lot of history with Pittsburgh. Not necessarily maybe this brass, but they know the players. Are they willing to give up as much as it's going to cost? Now, if you could get Gensel on an extension at a reasonable rate coming back the other way for a guy like Kuzmenko and your first and maybe next year, second or however it works out and a prospect like pot Colson. Sure. But again, it needs to make sense. I don't think, I don't know that the Canucks are going to be in rental mode for a big name rental mode mode, maybe for a filler, like a like somewhere that's going to fit into a role that they could potentially replace in the off season. Sure. But I don't, it'll be interesting to see if they go rental or long-term addition. I don't really know that they'll do anything because to me, they're kind of playing with house money this year. Yeah. You know, they weren't, they weren't expected to be this good and you know what, let's have a full season and let's actually see what this team can do. Let's see how they react in the playoffs. You know, let's see how they stack up against Vegas or Edmonton or LA in the playoffs. I think you're playing with house money this year and ride with the team you have. You already made it an acquisition to try to bolster your blue line and Nikita Zadorov. Maybe you bring in another depth defenseman, but I I honestly believe the Canucks should just ride it and see, see what they actually have because Maybe they flame out the playoffs and lose in five games and, and realize, ooh, maybe we aren't actually, you know, we aren't a playoff, you know, tight team. Then, then I think heading through the offseason, maybe next year you try to bolster the, let's call it the playoff lineup. But I, I just don't see why the Canucks really need to do anything significant this year. Yeah, I think, I, I agree. I don't know that they are, but I think a second line center might be the addition just with, how the lotto line is playing you i mean you got your depth scoring already coming through but a second line center would just be kind of that extra icing on the cake yeah i don't disagree with that i just to me the acquisition cost of that's going to be incredible so yeah well can yeah. let's let's move on to some other teams around the league and i, I want to focus on who do we think should actually be buyers? Because there, there, you know, there, there's always this belief that if you're around the playoff bubble, you should be a buyer. And I fully disagree with that. Ken, what's one team that is probably a buyer but shouldn't be a buyer? And you can't say Toronto because that's where I'm going. <laughs> well, all right. I, I do have... I got two that I'd almost want to say. One that should be a buyer would be New Jersey. And when I say buy, goaltending. They, yeah. you know, they've had some injuries. Uh, Dougie Hamilton, um, Hughes is out for, you know, been out in and out of the lineup. They, they've had some issues. They've had a lot of game, man games missed to, to injury. They're, this team should not be two points out of a playoff spot. They shouldn't be outside looking in right now. Um, they've shown us over the last couple of seasons, they're too good, but they're missing that piece. This is where I think they should be buyers. And I think they should be calling 
um, Craig Conroy and saying, we want you to ask Marky if he'll waive. We know we got he has a no movement clause. We want him. We really like, I think you got to start that conversation there because really what is out there on the market for available goaltending is not going to help him. Elvis Merzlinkins, not going to help. Uh, Capo Kakinen and San Jose, not going to help. None of the goalies that are available are going to help the Jersey get over the hump to being a solid playoff team. I want to throw uh, one more name out there. What about Marc-Andre Fleury? Yeah, I mean, I I think, though, yeah, short-term, that could work. But that's what I'm saying is this is a short-term. They need a long-term answer, though, and that's tough to get. Right, and that's where at least if you get Marky, you got what three more years on the contract. I, I think they need they need a solution, and whether it's short term or long term, they need to be looking at a goaltender. And maybe Flowers the answer for the short term. But again, you're riding. He's got the experience. He's older. What kind of workload are you going to give him down down the stretch here? Because um, they're a good team. Like Vanacek gives up so many rebounds that lead to goals and things like that. They got to fix it. So, I mean, that's my team that should absolutely be a buyer for one position. Maybe a little health insurance at forward in defense, but if they're healthy, they don't need it. Goaltending, they're healthy and they need it. Who's your team that probably is a buyer but shouldn't be? Similar to the Canucks, I would say for playing above what was expected of them, Philadelphia. This is a team who is sitting second, two points back of the Rangers, and people got half their roster as trade bait. Sorry, they're, <laughs> they're, they're second in the the Metro, and they're not going to be sellers, right? Like, unless, I don't know, shit goes really off the rails here, they're not going to sell but do they become buyers and potentially like, is this the flyers is, are the flyers that good or is this a, a bump? Who knows? Right? Like Tortorella has a shelf life. Are we in the upswing coming to a downswing or is torts found a home for life? Now we'll see what happens. I think they're my team that could be buyers that probably maybe shouldn't be again. It's working for them now. Well, I, I get a, I already kind of alluded to, I've actually got a few teams that I would classify as buyers and I don't think they should be. I just start with the Toronto Maple Leafs. There is no way this team should be a buyer because this team is not one player away. This team is not, you know, a starting goaltender away. Do they need a starting goaltender? Yes. Yes, they do. do but they to need me, a backup. Yeah. Yeah. They, <laughs> yeah. they need a backup. Their decor isn't good enough. This team is not one or two players away. This team, to me, this is an off-season reconstruction that needs to happen with the Toronto Maple Leafs. They've got high-end elite talent. You know, Mitch Marner, William Nylander, Austin Matthews, they aren't going anywhere. They aren't. That is elite talent that, you know, I just talked about the Calgary Flames not having elite talent. You don't go and trade it. But this team needs to figure out the bottom end of their lineup. And 
going at the trade deadline this year. I just don't see that being the place that's going to happen. Let's face it. Do we see the Toronto Maple Leafs beating the Boston Bruins, the Florida Panthers, the New York Rangers in a seven-game series? I don't see it. I don't even know that they'll beat the Carolina Hurricanes in a seven-game series. I don't see them beating the elite of the elite in the Eastern Conference. So don't, to me, don't spend more assets because they've been buyers at the last few deadlines because they thought they were close. They're not this year. I actually think they're further away this year than they have been in years past. And I think they just kind of need to ride with the status quo and be okay with another first round exit or a second round exit. I if don't they get see in. this team. If, yeah, if they get in, I don't see this team as an elite team in the NHL right now. And I don't think they should be buyers. Another team that I don't think should be buyers in the same division are the Tampa Bay Lightning. The Tampa Bay Lightning are probably even got a more precarious hold on a playoff spot. They're only one point ahead of the Leafs would have played two more games. You know, they're, they're very precarious in, in their standing for a playoff spot. Look, the, the Lightning's time has almost kind of been and gone. I don't think they should be spending more first-round capital trying to take another run with the Cat. You know, go with what you got. You know, it's, it's try to win it again with Steven Stamkos. You know, Nikita Kucherov's having an absolute lights-out season. You know, can Vasilevsky regain the form of the Stanley Cup? Like, there's the pieces there on this team to go on a run. I don't think they should be buyers and spending more capital. Uh, another team, I, I agree with Carolina. Well, yeah, I, was, I, I agree with Tampa, but I think, like, Tampa's in the position they were in because Vasilevsky missed time because of that surgery. Yes, and that's and he kind came of what back, I was alluding to. Yeah. And when he came back, he wasn't great, obviously, missing a lot of time. But I think if he – they've won five in a row. They're seven and three in their last ten. If they can ride that wave, I don't think they're in as much worry about making the playoffs. I wouldn't – for myself, I don't worry about Tampa making the playoffs as much as Toronto. Because I kind of agree with that. Tampa's Tampa, right? And if Vasilevsky's he's hitting his stride, like midseason form come playoffs, a lot of the teams in the East are effed because that's dangerous, right? We've all seen what Vasilevsky can do in the playoffs and regular season. And if he's hitting his stride come game 83, which is game one of the playoffs, the, the Eastern Conference is in trouble. Yeah, I think that's kind of – Tampa's already got the pieces there. And, you know, if, if Vasilevsky refines that form, then they're as good as any anybody. Um, another team that I'm going to preface shouldn't be buyers – but unless they can get like a bonafide starting goalie is the Carolina Hurricanes. Yeah. Um, very much to me, like the New Jersey Devils. I think they're they're a goaltender away from solidifying themselves as potentially being Stanley Cup contenders. So I'm going to preface, unless the Carolina Hurricanes can acquire Jacob Markstrom, then I don't think they should be buyers. Um I don't think New Jersey should be a buyer unless they can acquire Jacob Markstrom because that's what these teams really need. Maybe Marc-Andre Fleury, maybe. If if the Carolina Hurricanes are going to buy, maybe that's a name. But they're 
I just think there's a gap that exists between Boston and Florida and everybody else. And if, you know, and Tampa Bay, if Vasilevsky gets back, that I just don't know that these teams, you know, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 in the East really should be buying because let's face it, are you going to beat any of those top teams? I don't know that they are. You know, New Jersey maybe. If New Jersey can solve that goaltending, yes, I think they have the pieces in play. But outside of that, I don't think any of these teams should be buyers. No, I don't think they should be sellers either. Like everybody likes to lump everybody in these two categories of yeah. buyers and sellers. Well, no, that's not it. I think these guys should be more of a status quo tinker around the fringes unless they can get gold in it. In the West, I, I the top seven to me are set. You've got LA, Edmonton, Vegas, Vancouver, Dallas, Colorado, Winnipeg. Those guys are all making it. They're all making the playoffs. All of those teams should potentially be buyers, in my opinion, because all of them are very good teams. Then there's this lump of crap, let's call it. (laughs) And one of these teams is going to make the playoffs. Nashville, Arizona, Seattle, Calgary, St. Louis. And if I can squint hard enough, Minnesota, those teams should all be sellers. (laughs) I think it's pretty cut and dry in the West as to who the buyers and sellers are. There's no way the Calgary Flames should be a buyer. There's no way the Seattle Kraken should be a buyer. No, I don't think Seattle should be a seller either, but I think there's clear-cut seven buyers and nine, let's say, should sell, could sell, but even if – definitely not buyers. I think it's pretty clear-cut in the West. Yeah, but I think you're going to see a lot of these teams, because of where they are, go – Ooh, we're close. We can catch them. Yeah, right. Like I think so. You're gonna see some teams that shouldn't sell off players or, or be buyers are gonna go out there buying. I, I want to kind of hit on one team that does anyone really know what the hell they are? Pittsburgh. This is a team that has locked up their aging core for a lot of years. Kind of with the thought that they're still gonna win that are just on the outside. So are they gonna like there's already talk about Trading Gensel. Now, like, that's a guy you should probably be looking at locking up long term. He's younger. He, he can produce. What are the Pittsburgh Penguins? Like, what are they going to do? I think, I think they're interesting because they should be sellers. But you've committed so much money to Latang, Crosby. Uh, why can't I? Malkin. Malkin, thank you. Wow. It's Sunday morning for sure. Um, like, what do you do there? Like, you brought in Eric Carlson, and he's on a massive contract. Like, those aren't these days are done type of contracts. These are, we still expect to win. So, I think they're a team that are probably going to be buyers that absolutely shouldn't be. They I, realistically I kinda, should be. I disagree about the Pittsburgh Penguins. And here's why they can catch the Detroit Red Wings. They've got two games in hand. They're only three points back. They can easily catch Detroit. I think they're better than Washington. New Jersey's the wild card here. Like, if I had to place money on an outside team making it, it's the New Jersey Devils. The Pittsburgh Penguins have a plus 15 goal differential. Only team not in the playoffs. That's what I was just going to say. They're the only team not in the playoffs that actually has a positive goal differential. The Pittsburgh Penguins aren't a terrible team. If there's a like if they can augment, they're just old, like they're old, but 
I honestly think, you know, I wouldn't be spending a first round draft pick like they've done in crazy amounts over the last decade. But I disagree. I think the Pittsburgh Penguins can make it and maybe, maybe should be a buyer. I don't think they're a definitive seller at all because they're not actually that far out. And any team that has Sidney Crosby on pace for 50 goals has a chance. So to me, I think you owe it to Crosby, Malkin, Latang, Carlson to not wave the, the white flag and go for it. But not by trading first-round draft picks. I'm going to say that. But I um, think the Pittsburgh Penguins are 100% a buyer because what else are they going to do? Yeah, it's just looking at it, they're talking about trading a guy who's 29 and keeping the 36, 37-year-olds. The I mean, Jeff Carter's 39. He's probably done, I'd say, at the end of this year. Um Eller's 34. He's got another year on his. Achari, two more years after this at 32. Their defense, Carlson's 33. Latang's 36. And Latang has four more years. Right? Like but that's why I say you owe it to this guy. They're already signed. So you might as well go all in, but not by trading first round draft picks. Well, they, they either don't have this year's or potentially next year's pick. It's a conditional one that they moved. Um, how much cap space pre- do they have? They are sitting on 17,000 right now, so they're capped out. They're capped out, so which is why you got to move a guy like Gensel who's making six million to potentially do something for the future because they got some young guys who are well. Got a couple guys that are 26 that are UFAs and a 24-year-old RFA coming up. They got to fill three spots on their defense next year. They need a backup goaltender next year. It, it's one of those they like it's tough. Like they are gonna be all or nothing. And what happens if they sell if they buy and then miss the playoffs and now you've sold away a bunch of future for now? That doesn't happen. I it's I I don't know. They could they haven't fallen off like kind of expected them to, but at the same point, how long can they keep it up for? Trying to look at a guy like, and I don't think they could ever make this money work, but just because I'm familiar with the style of play, I kind of look at like uh, uh, an Andrew Mangiapane in Calgary as the type of addition that the Pittsburgh Penguins should be uh, looking at. I don't think the acquisition cost would be ridiculous. Um, now, Mangiapane's making six million, so that would never work for Pittsburgh right now. But I think you know you could maybe trade a second or a third, and maybe a middling prospect to get a guy like that to augment. I look at you know the Andrew Mangiapane types of the world as what the Pittsburgh Penguins should potentially be looking at. It's not a high end player, but it's a good hockey player. You know, maybe a Blake Coleman type player. And again, I'm just spitballing flames because I'm familiar with the style of play that those are the types of acquisitions I think Pittsburgh should be looking at making. Yeah, they're they're kind of in a like their deadline cap space is 200 grand. It's going to be tough for them to really do anything. Oh, 100%. Um, to, to make it work, it's going to take roster players moving out. What do you do, right? Um, I don't know. They, I, to me, they're a team that 
I just find them to be perplexing because they should be they should be on the decline. They should be 10 points out of a playoff spot now with how old they are and the lack of youngsters they've brought in. But they again, like we'll see what happens if Crosby or Malkin go down or Latang or Carlson, like what does that do for their season? Does that change their course of action? Um what do you what is what is the New York Islanders done? We haven't even talked about they fired Lane Lambert and brought in Patrick Waugh. Like, what is a New York I Islanders team know. does? Like, what do they do going in? Because they're they're two points out. Like, they're not very odd. I think I think Patrick Waugh was always the choice that Lou Lamorello wanted, but when he had to promote Lane Lambert from assistant to head coach, I don't think Waugh wanted the position. Now he does. So hey, Lane, you're done. We're bringing in Patrick here. Um, and apparently Lou has pull because I saw the picture of Patrick on the ice at the morning skate and he's clean shaven. So he's fallen in line with the, the no facial hair that the geriatric dinosaur Lou Lamorello goes with. I don't know what the New York Islanders do because they're, they're one of the, like we talk about, you know, there's teams in the West, the mushy middle. I feel the same about the New York Islanders. They're always in the mushy middle, and I and I just don't know who are they going to take. Like they're two points out, but who are they going to overtake? Like Detroit, maybe, but you also got to overtake New Jersey. I, I I don't know what the New York Islanders do. They're kind of they're kind of stuck where they are. Now the, the good news for the Islanders is you know they've got like Matthew Barzell, that's elite talent. They've got great goaltending. I just. Their goal difference is minus 21. Like, yeah. I don't know what they – I don't think they do but, anything. Yeah, but again, like, is that going to sit well with the fan base who's very passionate? And I don't know. I don't know that you make a move like bringing in a guy like Patrick Wan, you don't continue to make changes, right? Like, that's the part there. Like, what do you do? I, I don't know. I think it took everyone by shock, the the firing and the hiring. I mean, that's for sure. I don't think anyone ever saw that coming. So No, I I well I said to you, I said I, you know, I didn't wake up this morning and go, huh, Patrick Waugh is what ails the Islanders. Yeah. <laughs> what cares the Islanders? It just it seemed kind of odd to me that that they made that move. But again, it's you know they're a good team. They're a decent team that's maybe underperforming a little bit. So I guess, you know, try a new voice. I, you know what? I did. It doesn't hurt. Look what it did for the Oilers. Well, now, I yeah. by no means of saying that the Islanders are going to do what the Oilers did. So, no, but like, again, if Bo Horvat was a Canuck, I wouldn't complain, but they spent a lot to get Bo Horvat in a contract year who is, we talk about overperforming. They, they overpaid for a guy like Bo Horvat, and it didn't move the needle. They're still a, a, a team in the middle. They moved out a guy, Anthony Beauvillier, who didn't wasn't moving the needle in the on Long Island. He didn't do a lot in the Canucks, and they've already shipped him off, right? Like, it, I don't know. Like, I don't know what the Islanders are. At one the point Island? in time, I was picking the Islanders to win the Cup because they, they went back-to-back Eastern Conference Finals, and that team seems to have just gone with the wind. The Islanders are only going to go as far as Ilya Sorokin can take them. And, you know, he's, he's 
not playing quite as good this year as he has in other years. And that's why the Islanders are sitting where they are. If, if Sorokin can, you know, get back to a 915 save percentage and a 2.5 goals against average, the Islanders can get in. But right now he's, he, he's giving them okay goaltending, but not the superstar goaltending that he had given them prior. So they're only, and can only go as far as Sorokin can take them. Semyon Varlamov is an, a, an okay backup. He's put up decent numbers this year, but I don't think he's, he's not the answer in my opinion. Like I, I think again, it's as far as Sorokin can take them. I don't know that they need to do anything other than hope that Sorokin returns to all-star type form. And if he does, there's no reason they can't make the playoffs. Yeah. That, that would be their trade deadline acquisition is their, their goaltender rounding back into four. Oof. And he's jumping to 8.25 million after this season. Well, they so need him to round back. Yeah, into damn four. well better. <laughs> <laughs> he's getting double what he's making right now. So you sure as hell hope he's going to round out into form. I got one more team. I got one more team, Ken, I want to talk about. And we talk about, you know, buyers and sellers. And typically if you're at the bottom of a conference, you're deemed a seller. I don't know that I feel that way about the Ottawa Senators, though. Like, I, what is wrong with the Ottawa Senators? They've got a lot of good pieces there that I don't foresee. They, I don't think they should be selling off in any fashion. And I don't know what the Ottawa Senators do, but I also don't know where do they go from here? Like, I don't know that there's a lot of selling that the Ottawa Senators could do. If the Ottawa Senators are sellers, they're going to be a lot worse than they are right now. And that's, you're right. We've said it, like, they've got too much talent to be this bad. Like, you actively have to try, I think, at this point to be this bad. And I think... DJ Smith being gone is probably a very good thing for them. Bringing in an old school Jacques Martin as the new temporary voice right now, I don't think that was the right move. No, no. I think there was you should have gone interim internally until you found the voice, or you, you kept DJ Smith and you just roll with the shit show until you get your guy because this team is still three, six and one in their last 10. They are, they're, they're not good and they should be, they got like, you look at what corporate should Salo be did. better. Let's say I want to, I want to preface this. They should be better. I don't think they should be an elite team by any fashion. I don't know. I don't mean elite. I would say this should be a team that is in that playoff conversation in the wild card with, the, the talent they have. Like you look at what Corpusalo did in Columbus on a team that wasn't great, but he was decent. He goes to LA and he was good. He earned himself a nice contract with the senators. He's been terrible in Ottawa. He has, but I don't, I don't necessarily blame him because everyone in front of him has been terrible. That's the thing is even down to Brady Kachuk, like, and it's not to say Brady Kachuk isn't a good player. No one is doing anything that's good with that team. So there's something there that is clearly an organizational thing because it's not it's not the Bermuda Triangle of talent. Like, that's San Jose. <laughs> this roster should be doing a lot more, and they're young. 
And you expect potentially some of that, you know, ups and downs with the young roster, but this has just been down. Like Tim Stutzel, the guy's making $8.3 million. Brady Kachuk, they got Josh Norris. I mean, between those guys, like that's a lot of money. That's $24 million. You got Claude Giroux as a leader. You got Tarasenko, Drake Batherson. Like they got Thomas Shabbat should be helping them out. They got Jacob Chikrin, who's they're already talking about him. Decent out. You've got Jake Sanderson, who's making 925, jumping to 8.05. I don't get what is going on with this team to just drive them and pin them to the bottom of the standings. I don't get it. I don't know what you do because, like, what can you do at this point in time? You got to do something to get it going. But if you do, like their average age is 25.9. And that's because you have Tarasenko and Claude Giroux. They'd be a lot younger yeah. without those two. <laughs> their defense is 25 years old. They got a 33-year-old tra Travis Hamanick as the oldest defenseman. Zub at 28 is the next oldest. This team has a future. But I think but, right now... But do the they? That, that's, we keep saying that. And they keep... They're always at the bottom, and it, it's. I go to why this. I brought them up because this team's so mind-boggling. To me, they're a rudderless ship, right? Like they are, what should be, on the up and up of the future, and a a a, a ship that goes out and and cross the ocean seven times in a week. The ownership thing going on before and then when Melnick passed and the new ownership there was a lot of uncertainty there and now that the ownership seems to be settled they brought in Steve Steos as general manager we'll see how that works out they he made the choice they, that they should never have kept DJ Smith after last season I think the last two seasons showed you enough of what DJ Smith could do with this team that it, you had to make a change they finally did, and I don't – they're still looking for the voice. I don't think that what they've done is the answer. I think if they can get the, a coach in there that can get these guys going, this team could be very dangerous. Could be. But until they figure it out, they're going to be a bottom feeder. Yeah, to me, it's not a skill thing with the Ottawa Senators. It's – what it uh, – um... Was it Ken Nicholson? He goes, there's something in the water in Ottawa. <laughs> there, there's got to be. There's just too much talent on this team to be where they are. And as yeah. far as, you know, for trade deadline purposes, what are they going to do? Maybe Vladimir Tarasenko might be, you know, a piece of the dangle. But what are they going to get for, for Tarasenko? Like, you know, he's he's on pace for 20 goals. You know, they, they could maybe get a second a third maybe you got to retain you got to retain on that too because like he's a pending gonna ufa him. yeah so i i could see vladimir tarasenko getting dealt uh, claude Giroux, like I, I don't see him going anywhere because he's got another year six and a half million i don't think he wants this, to so i and i don't think he wants to and i, I claude Giroux is not what's wrong with the ottawa no. senator i i think but when I'm we like, could see or sorry Go ahead. You might be going where I was going to say. Like, 
what is this team going to do? You know, maybe Travis Hamannick, but Travis Hamannick, you know, wanted to go there. I just, I don't know what they do with these young players there. And I just don't see anything really significant outside of, you know, Tarasenko, maybe Hamannick getting moved. I just, I don't know. There, there's it, it, This is just an odd, odd team, in my opinion. Yeah. And they shouldn't be where they are. They really, really shouldn't be. It, it would take you know a lot to get Jacob Chickern out of there, even though there's talk that he's not happy. I just... And that's what I, I was going to say. I think, I think he's going to force a hand. Because he's a UFA. He's making $4.6 Obviously, he's going to want to raise on that. He's already spent the majority of his career in Arizona when they were horrible. And he's now on a team that is worse than that, that shouldn't be. And he's got a year left on his contract. He's going to want to go to a team that's in the playoffs, a team that's going to help him showcase his talent so that he can start talking an extension that starts with a seven or an eight. Yeah. Minimum yeah, six and a half. I disagree with that. Right? I think home... Uh, home team guy or not, because he's from the Ottawa region, I 100% believe he is going to force their hand and make a move. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I, I think he could be one of the guys. I just, I don't think he's the issue there. And again, he's part of that young core that should make this team a lot better than they are. I think they it's going to take... be better than they are. That's what I, I can't, can't figure out. And I think it's going to take uh, the right coach getting hired to convince him to stay. And you got to yeah. do that quick because you got less than two months before the deadline. And that's a move that could happen well before the deadline. Dan, is there any other teams that you wanted to touch on? Well, I, I think we covered it off. I, I just think when you're looking as a buyer, it's tough because – you're going to be trying to convince teams on the cusp to sell. And when you look at the teams at the bottom of the standings, what are you getting from Buffalo, Columbus, maybe Ottawa or Anaheim, Chicago, San Jose? What are you getting that is truly going to help your team? Because if the guys on those teams were doing it, you wouldn't have teams that had 26, 30 and 31 points. 33. Yeah, when, when we brought up the trade bait list for this episode, it was pretty underwhelming oh. of some of the, the players that are out there. I, I think there is there is good value in the three flames that are at the top of the list with Tana, Panathin, and Lindholm. I'm not convinced they're all going to get dealt. But outside of that, <laughs> I didn't see a lot where I was like, ooh, I need to go out and get that guy. And yeah. he's, I, you know, I'm I don't think the Vancouver Canucks are a Sean Monaghan away from winning the no, Stanley Cup. No, you know, I don't think I don't think the Toronto Maple Leafs are a Tyson Berry away from winning a Stanley Cup. Hold on, going back to Tyson Berry to win the Stanley well, Cup. Well, I know, but you know what I'm saying. Like, yeah, you know, I don't think James Reimer is the answer that the Carolina Hurricanes need in net to propel them. You know, to stardom. It's it's an underwhelming you know list in in my opinion four available players this year now who knows there, there's always trades that happen that you know blow your doors off you go i didn't even know that guy was available but i you know outside of the 
the three Calgary Flames, it was pretty slim pickings, in my opinion. Yeah, it was. It's ugly. So, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting. It could be a fun trade deadline day. It could be an extremely boring, underwhelming waste of a day come trade deadline day based on where teams are and what's available. So we'll get it sorted out. Hit us up on X, Twitter. Uh, Trevor's at the Bleach Con on one. I'm at the Bleach Con two. Tell us who you think are the sellers and buyers and who who you want to see your team go out and get. It's going to be interesting. In the course of now into the deadline, teams plays is going to dictate what happens. So we'll see who continues to climb, see who falls and where the chips may land. Uh, that's our show for this week. As always, check out bellyupsports.com. Check out the articles. Check out the other podcasts. Your sports needs will be filled. Um, that's our show for this week. I want to thank everyone for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, everyone.